A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Jesus is speaking here. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is, dear ones, a pretty loaded passage. It's also widely misused. For instance, sometimes when we have a Bible study and we have two people there, and instead of feeling disappointed, we say, well, the Lord's here. Because where have two more people gathered in my name? And, you know, that's probably true, but it is taking this verse out of context, right? In its context, what Jesus is saying is that when y'all are in the midst of your struggle with sin together, when you all, my disciples, are striving with one another toward peace and reconciliation, toward fellowship, toward freedom from sin, I will be with you. And that's really the more beautiful word that we need to hear because all of us right now are struggling. There are people who agree with everything that's happening in our streets and they are struggling. And there are people who despise everything that's happening in our streets and they are struggling. And there are people in the middle who want voices heard on both sides and they are struggling. And all of them together are locked in this same cosmic battle that human beings have been fighting from the beginning. We want what we want, not what God wants. Because God wants reconciliation and freedom from sin. God wants peace. God wants love to prevail between people. That is as abundantly clear in this text as anywhere else. What does it say? If someone says, don't go tell so-and-so that sits on your side of the church. Go and talk to her first. Any of y'all ever seen a gossip storm in a church? Anybody? Something to behold, isn't it? It's almost like a fire NATO, but worse. Gossip storms break churches up all the time. Jesus gave us a better idea. But people say, oh, we don't like Jesus' idea because we don't get our way with Jesus' idea. Ooh. Or we don't get to make someone look bad. 
Or we don't get to put someone down or we don't get to bully them. We don't get to say bad things about them. We don't get to, can you believe what that old so-and-so said? Gossip storms. What does Jesus say if you have a problem with your brother or sister? What did he say to do? Go to them. And I walked out of the kitchen because I didn't want to hear it. (laughs) And I heard her say, Miss so-and-so, y'all are just a bunch of mean old women. And you need to stop. And I thought, wow. What strength that took. Right? I was trying to appease and make peace. But she called it what it was. It was not in the spirit of Christ. If we could take hold of this idea that if we have a problem to go to the person they had the problem with, I knew who the problem was. It was with the pastor. She couldn't understand him because of his dialect. What I was telling her is, you know, I can't fix his dialect. (laughs) But I often wondered would things have been different if that normally sweet, wonderful old woman had gone to that pastor and said, I'm having trouble hearing you. What would that have been like? What could that conversation have been like? What kind of fruit could have been presented out of that conversation? Might she have found that in one-on-one conversation she could understand and find, and maybe a relationship could have formed from that where every week they had a conversation about the sermon. Can you imagine the possibilities? How things in that church could have been different from that moment going forward. Because from that moment forward, when those people decided to start that gossip fire NATO, things were difficult. I would imagine that you're probably thinking about those own kind of patterns in churches you've been part of throughout your life. Where the church has ignored the command of the Lord. And instead of going to the person who hurt us, who offended us, and giving them the chance to make reparations, to fix it, to make it right, to make an apology, giving them the chance to say, I didn't mean to hurt you. Instead of that, people ended up with rubbed and raw nerves. And the work of churches was hindered. Then Jesus says, well, if they won't come around from that, take two or three more witnesses with you. People who are supposed to hear. Jesus isn't saying gang up on them and take some other people and go talk to them and tell them, well, you're wrong. No, he's talking about people who will be mediators. People who will help hold the conversation. People who will help move it toward a godly resolution. And then Jesus says this interesting thing, take them to the church. But at present, when this was written, when he said it, there was no church. He said a word, ecclesia, the called out. Take it to the called people of God. Why? For what purpose? So that they can embarrass someone? No. So they can bring them up front and make them admit everything they've done wrong? No. So that they can uphold the person who's been hurt and offended. And work toward healing. And then Jesus says, if they won't listen to the church, then you can treat them like pagans and tax collectors. Did you hear that part? That's the part where most people say, man, finally we got something I can like. 
Finally, we got to a program I can agree with. Kick them out, preacher. Kick them out. They shouldn't have never been here anyway. Kick them out. That's how people hear that. They hear it that way because it's ingrained in us to remember that that we're dealing with a, a called people in the scriptures. We're dealing with a people who were the children of Abraham. A people who were called and set apart from the rest of the world. And the rest of the world became to be referred to as the nations, the ethnos, the Gentiles. And here, when Jesus says to treat them like pagans and tax collectors, he uses the word ethnikos, which is a cognate of ethnos. The two are tied together. It's the, it's the same word, essentially. And, and, you know, you might be hearing the word ethnic in that, and you probably should. Here in, in this is a reminder for us that there will be times when categories that other people have made up will divide us. And it's a category of sin that we can struggle with together and we can defeat if we will go to the one who has offended us and tell them if we will take witnesses when that doesn't work and if we will enlist the whole prayerful help of the church in restoring a relationship but jesus said he said it preacher we can kick them out we can treat them like gentiles and tax collectors because they didn't like tax collectors either remember that Oh, no. Rome, there is absolutely and fundamentally no reason to doubt Jesus when he said that the love of money is the root of all evil. The Romans decided how much money they wanted out of Judea. And they appointed tax collectors to get that money. And whatever they raised above that was their salaries. So if they told me, David, we want you to get $100 from your precinct. If I got $200, I got to keep 100 that's how Zacchaeus got wealthy. And so they hated him, the tax collectors. Not because they were like the IRS, but maybe because they were a little bit like the IRS. But these people, they thought, were selling out their chosen heritage. They were selling out their peoplehood. They were selling out their race. They were selling out their ethnicity. They were selling out their ethnos. They were selling out their own people. And so they hated them, even though they were their own people. And Jesus said, if they won't listen to you, you can put them out just like then. That's how it might read to us. Let them be to you as Gentiles and tax collectors. But then we might ask ourselves, should we check the gospel of Matthew for these words in other places? Maybe we should. What about from Matthew 5? I'm going to ask you to hear me read, so please unlock your earballs. When I was a kid, the teacher told us to put on our thinking cap. I told her I didn't have one, and I got to go see the principal. <laughs> put on your thinking cap for a minute and hold on to these words. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, that person who has sinned against you. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Uh-oh. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You might remember those words from be holy, as your heavenly Father is holy in the King James. Here we see that same kind of negative context to the words. The Gentiles are those people who are not yet enrolled in the program of God. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow the God of Israel, you became a convert, a proselyte. You went and got baptized in a mikvah and became a Jew. Those people aren't who Jesus is referring to. He's referring to those people who have no covenant with God, who have no desire to know God. But serve only their own wants. And they love people for what they can get out of it. And they would never serve their enemies. Then in Matthew 6, 7 through 8, he says, When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So we might understand from this that Jesus is talking about those people who have religion for a show. People who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. As he says in another place in Matthew. There's a pattern emerging, isn't there? The people that Jesus is talking about when he says treat them like Gentiles is people who have absolutely no regard for God. People who don't want to come and bow down before anyone. People who don't want to serve someone, especially someone who doesn't look like them or worship like they do. And then in Matthew 12, the word shows up again, that root word ethnos. We hear Jesus say, but the well, the Matthew says, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fill, fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the ethnos, to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the ethnos, the nations will put their hope. Now we're in trouble. Up until now, it sounded like Jesus was agreeing with us when we said we could kick them Gentiles and tax collectors out of the church and all those people who won't listen to us. And we can pretend like they don't matter anymore and get rid of them because we tired of them anyway. Oh, up until now, we was building some, some, some momentum toward the idea that we can just pull away from the world and ignore it and let it go straight to hell in whatever handbasket they want. But now we got a problem because the prophet of God says, oh, no, 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 no. God has a plan. And those people, God's servant, will speak to them of justice as well. Uh-oh. 
You know, we was getting close to being able to say we can just pull back from the world and condemn everybody that doesn't agree with us, but we might have to backtrack now. What about Matthew 24? I have a feeling the farther we go in the book, the worse it's going to get for our position. Do y'all? Yeah. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel, this good news, you can train yourself to when you hear the word gospel to say in your mind, good news. This good news of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all ethnos, to all peoples, to all nations. To them dang Gentiles. Come on, Jesus, we was wanting to kick them out, remember? He had said it, but Jesus said, let them be to you as a Gentile tax collector. And we all went, woohoo! Don't have to deal with her no more. Nope. And then Jesus says the end will come. Well, what about 25? Matthew 25. You might know that as the great judgment parable about the sheep and goats. Verse 32 through 33. Jesus says, All the ethos, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will set the people, separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And here's the thing they won't be separated on the basis of their race, their heritage, their color, their politics whether they went to Clemson or not. It'll be based on whether or not they cared for the poor. Whether or not they clothed those who had no clothes. Whether or not they gave water to the thirsty. Whether or not they fed the hungry. Whether or not they visited those who were sick and in prison. And I'm telling you, our theory that we can just ignore people has been shot to heck. We could go back and hang on to that, but Jesus said it, preacher. We did everything we could. We followed it to the letter. I went and talked to him, and he said, I ain't having nothing to do with that. You wrong. I took two or more people, and he shot at me from the front porch. I called the whole church, and we've been praying for him till our knees are blistered. I'm exaggerating, right? church was praying until our knees were blistered the world would be in better shape than it is we did all that and he won't listen so Jesus said we could chunk him out and ignore him we can decide we don't like him and we can write editorials to the newspaper about him start us a fire NATO and burn the whole church down and then Jesus says this last thing this last occurrence of the word in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let me ask you, church, does that mean there's authority left for us? For me and you individually? For the church there is, but for me and you individually? I think the answer is no. So technically then we don't get to condemn anyone. 
We don't get to decide that a person can be dead to us. And then he says, Therefore, as you go, as you go about, as you live, as you walk around, in the everyday methodology of your life, therefore go and make disciples of all Gentiles, of all ethnos, of all nations. Those same people that he said, treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors. Let them be to you as Gentiles and tax collectors. And we think, yay, Jesus. And then Jesus says at the end of this message, go tell them the good news. Go tell them of my death and resurrection that can set them free. Go tell them of the freedom of, from sin and death that can yield us to giving our hearts to even those who hate us the most. Go tell them about the coming of the Holy Spirit who will empower you to serve the most wretched of people. And remember that I commanded you to love your enemies and bless those who hate you. Pray for those you disagree with. I called you to take up a cross. Not a battering ram. And to walk in the way that leads to peace and life. And he says, as you go doing about that, tell them the good news. Make disciples. Even of those ethnos, even of those Gentiles. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And as a very famous author once said, there the worm turns. And having the fullness of Jesus' voice in our ears, we cannot hear the idea that we can let them be as Gentiles and tax collectors to mean any more that we should wrestle with all our might to lead them to the one who can save their whole heart and life. Do you hear that, church? So easily we get excited about being able to push the problems of the world away and stand at arm's length and say, let it burn. But our Lord says, go. Tell them the good news. He said that. Those same people. So we have a choice in front of us. And if we want to follow Jesus, it's the path of healing and offering ourselves for the hope of reconciliation. It is, in fact, the path of doing things that make us uncomfortable in the pursuit of peace. Hang on to that this week. Look for opportunities to model that call of Christ on your life. 
Because as you do so, who knows whose heart might be transformed? Who knows who might cry out to the Lord and be saved? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.